I'm John Lees, and this is who I am. My guest today is uh, independent comic book writer and swimmer, John Lees. <laughs> John, thank you for joining me on the show. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Um, glad to be on. Yeah. So and this is the first time you've actually got to chat. I know we've been like friends on social media for years, but we've never met at a convention or anything like that. So this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. You've always ended up uh, on the East Coast with your convention so far, haven't you? Yeah, like the, the Demon Road City this year, which was my first kind of like tentative venture out to the West Coast, but that was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's mainly been like New York, and I did like Chicago and Heroes. Mm-hmm. And do you like conventions? Do you do you enjoy going to them or? Yeah, I do. I mean, like I get thrown in the deep end. Like the first proper convention I ever did was New York Comic Con. It was kind of terrifying at first. Um, mm-hmm. But within a couple of days, you can, once you get over that hump of like realizing that you'd probably never see these people again, so it doesn't matter if you look like a bit of an idiot. So then I was happy just to kind of jump out in front of the table and engage people and be social in a way that I'm like not normally in real life. So right. um, yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it. And also, like most of my friends are like, you know, are like in the comic scene or like and a lot of my friends are like abroad now. So it means I get to meet people like that I spend so much time talking to online. So that's always good. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the what's the convention scene like in in um, Britain at the moment? Um, well, it's it's definitely like growing. Like even in the time since I started making comics, um, like when I first started out um, back like in maybe two thousand and eleven, yeah. But, I'm trying to think when actually I started writing comics about 2009 but it was about 2011 by the time I was ready to have one like to release but around that time like it was quite a quiet scene in comics but now it feels like the conventions exploding everywhere and obviously you have the big ones like um, Thought Bubble or like the London shows you know in Scotland you have Edinburgh Comic Con Glasgow mm-hmm. Comic Con but there's like marts and smaller events like popping up yeah all over the place like there's that i'm going to glenrothes comic-con in a couple of weeks and oh, wow. um there's like and there's all these very smaller events now i have like the comic-con name where there's ones in Canvas lang and he's got in every small little english town you can think of and it's actually got to the point now where sometimes there's like three or four events all on the same weekend like in the uk alone it's kind of getting almost a point of critical mass yeah yeah, that's definitely happened here. Where it's you, you could go year round easily. You could get like there's there's multiple conventions this weekend, I think, and you you can definitely. Yeah. Wasn't there some week when it was like one that was a WonderCon, and then it was like something else on the same week, another big one that was on the same weekend? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Not Heroes. That was. No, that's still to come. That's just coming yeah. up in this um, couple of weeks. Uh, C2E2 maybe or. There was definitely two. I, yeah. I think maybe a Texas one or something. I seem to think might be. Okay, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> but, but yeah, the point is, like, there's a lot of like conventions. So many, so many, so we lost track of them. <laughs> um. So you you said you started writing in 2009 or writing comics in 2009, and uh, yeah. was that well, the standard? Probably just about yeah. Actually, it was the standard. Um. Like, I think I've told this story a couple of times, but uh, the way I started out with comics was kind of like a weird 
backwards way where I'd always liked writing and I'd always liked comics, but I never thought to kind of put the two together and like write comics. But mm-hmm. I just graduated from university in 2008 and I had the idea of making a short film and put aside the budget for it. And like, but then like things fell through, the location fell through, and we couldn't get the, the, you know, the schedule and sorry to do it. So I was kind of at a loose end and wondering what to do next. Then an artist friend of mine approached me and said, Could you write a comic for me to draw? Mm-hmm. And my artist friend had a kind of like scratchy, kind of abstract style, kind of heavy, like in charcoal. It's very like moody and it's like perfect for a noir crime story, which is what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I went and wrote like a superhero adventure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I wrote this thing and it was like a, a light bulb clicking where I thought, I love doing this. Like, it's like I love the structure, I love, like, you know, the limitations and how you work within those limitations. I thought, like, I was like, love it at first sight, writing in the comic format. So, I wrote the first issue of the stand up, which was the first comic script I wrote. And then my artist friend said, there's no way I can draw this. So we went, <laughs> all right, okay. I'm going to put it away for a bit. And then um, fast forward to 2009, and Stephen Forbes, who's an editor who worked with Comic Stripe, mm-hmm. he used to run a column called The Proven Grounds on was it the Project Fanboy forums at that time, I think, mm-hmm. where he would submit, he would review scripts people submitted and like tear them apart, like in brutal Simon Cowell style fashion. <laughs> so I thought, I'll, I'll submit this and I'll see... Um, if I can maybe learn something from it. So I submitted the script and I actually got positive feedback, which was unusual, like in this kind of series of columns. Yeah. Then he got in touch and said, I think he could make this into a comic and the rest from there is history. Um, just started working from there. Mm-hmm. And you put it out through Comics Tribe, right? That was... Um. Yeah, well, originally the plan would be means Stephen was the editor and like he kind of like saw me through the writing of the series through 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Once the series was finished, he said, my friend Tyler James and I are launching a comics imprint in, 2000, in January 2011 called Comics Tribe. And originally it's going to be a series of columns like helping creators make better comics. But um, eventually we're going to start a publishing line. And they said, if you want to go through the process of shopping this to publishers, I'll do that with you if you want. But you also might want to see if you, you know you want to kind of join this publishing line in the ground floor as well and just kind of get on board. So mm-hmm. I thought I weighed the options and things. I thought I might not have as big an audience um, with Comics Tribe as if I were like, to go to a big publisher. But at the same time, I'm nobody. Like I could spend a year like trying to like pitch to various publishers to no avail or I could like go with someone who's interested in definitely publishing the book. So um, I weighed my options and ended up going with Comics Tribe and I'm glad I did because Comics Tribe have been a great community and really supportive ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've done um, a few uh, books with them, right? Yeah, um, I've done the standard i've done and emily was gone i did oxymoron love waste nightmare and my new book sync is coming out through them as well um it's currently getting released via the newsletter sync.comicstribe.com um people can sign up get the issues for free but we're getting a direct market release through diamond um start i think it's going to be in july previews for a september release so that's mm-hmm. coming out with them as well and like i say they've always been really supportive and i've always been happy to every year i go to new york comic con and i table with those guys and like those guys are some of my best friends now so mm. <laughs> i've always been happy to work with them yeah and um uh, when emily was gone and sync are both set in are they both set they're not both set in glasgow but no, um, and then Emily was gone, set in Orkney, which is like a little island community at the mm-hmm. very north of Scotland, um, and a fictional island within Orkney called Mercy. Um, and Sink is set in Glasgow, um, which is closer to home um, for me since I'm a Glaswegian. I've never actually been to Orkney, but I've been to Glasgow, so there's a lot of like real locations <laughs> in Sink. 
Uh, what did you study at, at college? You said you graduated in 2000. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I did a joint honours in English literature and film and TV studies, uh-huh. which is like a crash course for um, being a waiter or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting though, like doing that. Like, and um, obviously, like, made you start thinking critically about story in its various mediums. So it was useful. And like I say, I had the idea at the time that I wanted to do films, but. Um, but what you learn about films when you study them, though, is especially the process of writing film and making film is it's very much like, and you'll know this because you work in film as well, um, but mm-hmm. like it's you have this original idea, and then the process of like writing you know, or preparing to like, even make a short film is like, how can you chip away at this idea and like get to like the version of it that you can actually do, like, you know, like mm-hmm. the compromises you have to make to get to that point. Um, we just like comics, like, you know, there is no like budget as such, well, there is obviously in terms of playing a creative team, but in terms of like, like what can be depicted and where the story can go there's no limits so i kind of love the kind of new aspect of that to it yeah yeah there's certainly a, like a, a a blank creative canvas there's like a, a the idea of the infinite canvas in in comics which has, has always been played around with unlike film where you're limited by by so many other constraints right. but yeah, because it's just that way, like the scary thing is because like, obviously comics is expensive as well, but mm-hmm. it's done just how expensive like film is in terms of like literally every day just like existing making that movie is costing money because like, you're paying for equipment and um, all that other stuff is really daunting. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's an incredible uh, per minute cost. <laughs> film. <Yeah. laughs> um, so you said that you were a comic reader before then. Um, what was that like growing up in in Glasgow and reading comics? Um, well, there really wasn't I, back then, at least there wasn't a comic scene at all. Really, um, if you read comics, you kind of like didn't really talk about it to anybody <laughs> because like nobody knew, nobody else liked comics. It was all like football and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I would go to my local Forbidden Planet and stock up in my books each week and. Um, yeah, and obviously like, you have like, the UK comics and things like, you know, I remember when I was little, I read like Sonic the comic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the American comic scene is, it was definitely better now than it was back then. Back then it was pretty sparse, um, mm-hmm. as I say, but now like obviously all these all these events and things, like I would have killed to have had these events when I was a kid and all these kind of social opportunities, but no, it was kind of a solitary pursuit back in the Scotland of the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um... In when I was growing up, there was exactly the same thing where you you didn't talk about it at all, and it was something that was kind of yeah. underground. And then um, when the and then you know that way it was like even like where um, if you got into high school and you start talking about like you know Batman the animated series or something, or you start talking about it to somebody where you and the person you're talking about start purposely acting kind of vague, like you don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Like of course you both know you. You know that villain? What was his name again? You know the guy, but you, you both <laughs> yeah. know. But no one wants to look like they're too big an nerd. Yeah, and inside you're screaming the name of the, the everyone connected to that story <laughs> and that character's real name, the character's backstory. But you're like, yeah, yeah. what's it's his name? Eagle. Ridley yeah, guy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so do you and and when you um, when you finished writing a stand, you wrote the standard before you started working on the first issue, or was it something that you were still working on as you started? As the, as the I think it was kind of like it was a bit of overlap. I think for them, I'd written the majority of the series once Jonathan came on board. I think because originally I wrote issue, I definitely wrote issue one and two in two thousand and nine, and we got we had another artist on board who fell 
through and we had another artist after that who didn't didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Then Jonathan Rett, I think, was like the third artist we kind of reached. Um, at that point, I was ready for just giving up the ghost because I was like, yeah, <laughs> but like, it worked out for the best because I think anyone else could have drawn that apart from Jonathan in hindsight. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I think I, I think I'd at least written like, I think it maybe written three issues by the time Jonathan came on board and I was working on issue four um, when he joined. Um, so there was a kind of overlap where you can see, especially if you read the scripts for the later issues, I start tailoring a little bit more to Jonathan and the strengths and doing stuff that I knew he'd be good at. But yeah, those early issues, I was kind of writing into the void, not having a clue who would be drawing the book, mm-hmm. which I don't think I could do now. I don't think I could put pen to paper without knowing who's drawing the book now. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really worked out because the um, uh, for me, your writing style, is, is a, it has that, that, that kind of fragile sheen of, of good and proper with uh, underneath there's always some uh, horror that's kind of percolating and uh, Jonathan's yeah, like, art matched that quite well and uh, he, he you know he's he's got a very polished style but when he needs to go can bring out the marquee when he wants. yeah <laughs> um, and that 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 style of writing that kind of carried over for um, uh, when Emily was gone which he did with uh, Ian Laurie right Laurie yeah um, and that was very much an example of writing for an artist because um, with and then Emily was gone like I'd been working with Dean on an arc and I've worked for Hire project which um, didn't pan out and we said let's just work on our own thing and I'd already been a fan of Ian's for like a year or two before that like I'd read the stuff like Mothwick and Roachwell mm-hmm. um, and Ian Laurie's Horror Mountain and yeah. <laughs> I thought he was a fantastic creator um, and I wanted so when Ian said let's work on something that's like what we like and the stuff we're interested in you know like whether it was like David Lynch and Twin Peaks and Ben Wheatley films and Hammer mm-hmm. Horror I was also thinking like I want to write Ian Laurie's greatest hits. I want to kind of <laughs> do something that I knew he did. The, the me, as a fan of his in the Scottish independent scene, I wanted to see like how if I could bring the stuff he's done so well in the independent scene into like a bigger platform and a wider audience. And so I was just basically tailoring everything to the kind of stuff that I knew he would knock out of the park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like that's where like all the seething kind of flesh creations come from because I was thinking, you know, it's a great job on that. And he always jokes and you know, like and says, like, you know, I just want to draw superheroes and like, people keep on writing <laughs> these <kind of> scripts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like he, he, every now and then he'll do a uh, a sketch and it's of like um you know, it's still on that odd side of the superhero so like doctor strange kind of vibe but um but yeah he, he does <laughs> he does lend himself to uh to that that kind of melted Cabra. yeah exactly <laughs> um what's your what's your process for writing what do you do how do you what's your daily approach or do you write daily um i'd like to um i'll try to it doesn't always pan out um i'd like to try and see if i can get a little bit written every day whether it's um you know like i drafting or redrafting or doing something i try and schedule something into every day but in terms of my approach to writing um it's actually quite boring um <laughs> uh like i know like some folk like to go oh, I'll, I'll go with the muse carries me and stuff like this mm-hmm. but no nah, <laughs> that's kind of like you know bs for me like where i kind of need to kind of have this very regimented blueprint where um 
I'll start off and I'll write down if I've got a series, I'll do like a series plan, I'll get a bit of paper and I'll write down like, you know, one five issue mini series, I'll write down like one, two, three, four, five. Then I'll write down in one line what happens in each issue. So that that way right away I'm establishing that each issue has a reason to exist and this mm-hmm. is the issue where this happens. And because I hate that, I hate when you read a comic and it just feels like stuff happening to kind of pad out the issue number rather than that issue being like a document in itself that kind mm-hmm. of stands on its own so i like to try and write out in one line what happens in this issue then i get down to like issue plans and like i get each issue and i write down like all the scenes which i imagine are going to be in it then i like roughly put a rough estimate of how many pages i think each scene is going to take mm-hmm. and then like i'll do like a page plan i'll write down like one through 22 or 24 however many pages it is and again write in one line um, what's going to happen on each page so again each page is justifying its presence in the story and there's nothing that's treading water mm-hmm. and then like once I get into that I can break it down even more and I'll do like panel breakdowns for each page and I'll write down what, what happens in each panel and then like when I actually started so that, by the time I actually started writing that I've got a pretty thorough skeleton of knowing when I'm going to go mm-hmm. and often I'll just like I'll just like pad out those like you know little one line panel descriptions I've written into a more detailed description then just write like blah 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 like for the dialogue and then go back and fill it in <laughs> later on has it changed at all, your writing? Um, to be honest, that's roughly the format like I've kept consistently throughout. Obviously, I'd like to think that I've got better at <laughs> doing it since <laughs> I started. Um, or otherwise, then I'm screwed. But no, roughly, I'd say it stayed the same. Some little like change-ups in format here and there, but largely, I've tried to keep it consistent. Uh-huh. And do you feel like you need that, um, that analog step where you're, you're, you're putting a pencil to paper or a pen to paper to... Well, it, doesn't al- it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, sometimes I will just get in a word document. But for me, I think um, the act of like physically writing something down in a bit of paper, um, I think, makes it feel more real and tangible. Like, for example, even though I'm sitting working at my computer or at my my desk in my study here i'll always have next to me a to-do list which is written on paper mm-hmm. so that once i do something i can physically cross something off the list and i think that feels more real and tangible to me than like doing it in a word document or doing it in your phone yeah hmm. and do you ever do thumbnails very very really to be honest i like the, i prefer to think um like it's the artist's domain to like do like art layouts and to do all that um you know, like, if I try and come in with the thumbnails, they've been a backseat driver. Mm-hmm. Having said that, like, not necessarily for the artist, but sometimes for myself, if I write a page of like script down and I look at it and I think, can this actually be drawn? And I'm asking something unreasonable of the artist. I will try, like, you know, and lay it out on a piece of paper just in a stick, man, like, to see if like it is feasible to like draw it, you know, mm-hmm. and if it is, then you know good and if not i need to rethink it although sometimes obviously i'll send little visual aids to artists and stuff like um i was working on something with joe javera quite recently and um she like was asking about where characters were placed in a scene or something like this so Mm -hmm. i sent her a kind of like layout of like a room like and i kind of did a little like you know the the initial of the characters to show where they're placed in the room and kind of laid it all out in that way like you know i don't mind doing stuff like that but generally speaking i think it's better to let the artists decide themselves and Stay out of their territory. Right. <laughs> um, the standard was five issues, was it? Oh, six. Oh, six. Well, it was six issues, but then the last issue got put together into one um, giant double-sized issue. Oh, I think right. Been yes. a big, 
there'd been a big delay in between issues, so we thought it was best like just to kind of get the one issue out while, while it was back in people's minds rather than trying to kind of get the the ball rolling again. Well, we know for two issues. Uh huh. And how did it feel once you'd completed that? That cause as your first series was that? Uh... It was amazing. Um, it was fantastic. It was a long time coming. Um, I think it obviously was various factors in play. I think like um. When John John himself will admit there was a lot of stuff he had a lot of stuff going on at the time, but the rate of completion of the issues was pretty much like one issue a year. I think like we got issue one drawn in two thousand ten, issue two two thousand eleven, issue three two thousand twelve, issue four two thousand thirteen. Then issue five and six in 2014, um, and we got like five and six done because Will Robson came on to draw mm-hmm. like half the art um, for five and six. So it was like a long time coming, and I've, you know there were certain times you're thinking, "Is this ever going to get finished?" But <laughs> I'm glad I stuck it out because, like, um, uh, now that it's done, it doesn't matter how long it took to do. Like, you know, it's something that for me and for John and like Will and Mike Gagnon and all the other people that were involved in it, um, that it's like a credit, it's something finished that stands there. And for me, like. It wasn't fully finished until I had that Kickstarter with the kind of hardcover graphic novel, and I was able to put that on my bookshelf next to all my favourite comics, uh, yeah. you know, my real authors, <laughs> and close, it, close the door on the bookshelf and go, that's it there. Um, and then, then, then it was finished, and that was an amazing feeling. I think it's because obviously you know as a writer that um, when you're working on a story, there's lots of goodbyes for a comic. There's like when you write the end in the last page of script to the last issue, that's like one goodbye. Then when the last page of art comes in, that's another goodbye. Like, you know, then when the last issue, like, you know, is in your hands, that's another goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously it's all collected and then it's another goodbye, you know. Um, so it all kind of comes by degrees. But yeah, there's a certain sadness and like something that was a big part of your life for like years, you know, going away. But um, there's also a satisfaction as well that you managed to see it through to the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was, um, and then Emily was gone. That That was the first one that went out through um, direct market or was that no um, I, the standard was the first one that went out through the direct market oh, yeah, um, okay. but again yeah can I, that was that launched in January 2013 to like um, but then again like the slower sort of the scheduling delays came in so I think it ended up that um, and then we was gone and the standard ended up finishing around the same time in late 2014 mm-hmm. uh, so there was a kind of overlap but um yeah, no, like for me, it was my first direct market release was the standard 2013, then it was Nenemo was gone in 2014, and it was Oxymoron 2015. Oh, nice. And um, was it was it, it was the free was that the free comic book day? Book oh yeah, happened? we did a free comic book day release for Nenemo was gone. So that was in 2015 free comic book day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Nenemo was gone issue zero, which came out um after the collection. Ah, and how did that come about? How did you decide that that was something you wanted to try and do? To be honest, it was actually um, Tyler James who asked me. Um, he said that you know they were looking for a slot for a book for Free Comic Book Day, and would I be interested in writing another Emma Was Gone story? And I was like, yes, mm. but I obviously could do a sequel because without going into spoilers, um, an Emma Was Gone ends in a way which probably doesn't benefit the story continuing any further. <laughs> so I decided to do like a prequel issue instead and kind of go back the way, um, like. What me and Ian said was that if again we was gone was like Twin Peaks, this would be your fire walk with me. Yeah. Um, so we had a little <laughs> kind of like scary um, story, and I, I love the idea of thinking all these kids would be going in and getting a free comic book day books and be getting this with it. Um, yeah. And you no know, sweet dreams, kids. But <laughs> but um, like yeah, no, but it was great, and the response to it was good. I think it was something like fifty thousand copies were ordered, and like and. Uh, 
all all that day people were posting their selfies with the comic and things. It was just great seeing such a response to that book. It's still one of my highlights of my comic career, seeing the kind of outpouring of response to and yeah. everyone was gone S Zero and Comic Book Day. Yeah, yeah. I I you know, I'm I'm a real big fan of the independent comics and I always enjoy finding things and finding how to get them in this kind of like, you know, weird, not connected to comic books nebulous way. Um, but then there was still there was a moment I remember I went to a, a store here and I saw um, I think it was issue two was up and it, yeah. it was just this nice moment of like oh yeah that guy there it is oh yeah I, I've seen this <laughs> stuff <laughs> but no yeah it was it was great it was, it was good to see that and like I say for me it was, it was the biggest thing more than anything for me it was great seeing the response for Ian because Ian Laurie is like the most like self-deprecating person you can imagine when he just imagines that nobody likes his stuff that he's not that good <laughs> and to be able to go with him to new york comic-con in 2014 and have like, people come to our table and be fancy his work and say can you sign these books and get him to, him to get that moment of validation and seeing like his stuff had value like you know that was worth the whole book like, just seeing that yeah definitely wow um who are some of your writing heroes um in terms of like comics, I would say Grant Morrison's obviously like the biggie since he's like grey and Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like oh, I'm a big fan of Jason Aaron as well. I think he's amazing. Like everything he does is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um generally speaking, um I think I've I think I've already mentioned a couple of times David Lynch is a kind of like go to um of the Cone brothers as well. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, um and just like some of the like trying to think of any other people I've had like more recently Scott Snyder's been someone whose work I've really admired and stuff but yeah no like I suppose like it's mainly like I say Grant Morrison that would say be the big one that jumps out to mind as being the guy that kind of like when I think of writing excites me yeah mm. and is there do, do you see that the work you're doing now as as kind of like a, a stepping stone forward to working on on um, on properties that like um, like Grant Morrison went from, is he is Glaswegian or is he? Um yeah I think I think he yeah he's from I think he was actually born in Glasgow and now he lives in like Port Glasgow which is just outside of Glasgow, um but he's not in LA, um <laughs> and <laughs> um but yeah no I, I don't know in terms of like we did I see it as a stepping stone to like want to hire a license properties obviously I did like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic this year and that was a lot of fun yeah and like. There's characters, of course, I would love to work with. You know, like I've always, you know, like I think when I probably first started within comics, I had this thing where I back and like have an idea for this character or that character, and like who, you know, who wouldn't want to love to, who wouldn't love to contribute some part to this massive tapestry, which has been around since before you were born and will be around long after you've died. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's like you know a really fascinating idea. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't see, like, what I'm doing as a stepping stone just to working on that. Like, you know, I'd always like to be doing my own stories still as well. And, like, the stepping stone for me would be, like, building up an audience so more people are reading my stories. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I think even for where to do, like, work for higher stuff, like, that in itself would also be, like, you know, a stepping stone to, like, you know, building my audience and getting more people to read my stories. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. It's, it feels like um, I've seen a lot more... Um, established writers that are working on licensed properties doing a lot of the legwork for getting the idea out and for letting people know that it's out even for these licensed properties and it's like it kind of it feels like it's there's a tipping point coming where if you're doing that anyway for a marvel or dc book then why not 
do the same for your own book and, and you don't yeah i think like you know i think for me like i had to mention him again i think jason aaron's always been like a good kind of like touch point where he manages to simultaneously do stuff you know for kind of like big two characters you know which feels fresh and interesting and very much his own style mm-hmm. but at the same time is also doing um his own work like scalped or southern bastards you know mm-hmm. which is very exciting and created owned and it's his own properties as well so he's kind of kept that balance he has a kind of like a foot in both puddles yeah uh with the the teenage mutant ninja turtles stuff did that come about from emerald city or was that something that you've been working to pitch for a while well the story of the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came about probably through Nick Patara, okay. um, who is, uh, despite his fearsome online persona, is actually <laughs> a great guy um, and a sweetheart. But yeah, like, so like, it was me and, Ian, me and Nick Patara. Um, that originally, I think, I'd included Manhattan Projects in uh, um, top 10 comics listings. Every year I do like, my top 10 comics. I'm sure I'd included Manhattan Projects in one year and I tied Nick Patara. I'd also included Dean Laurie's Horror Mountain and tagged Ian. So through that, Ian and Nick became friends. Mm-hmm. And so, so Nick was saying to Ian, show me any pages that are working on in the future. Like, you know, I'd love to keep tabs on what you're doing. So... When me and Ian started working on it and then when it was gone, Ian was sending the pages over to Nick Patara. Mm-hmm. And Nick became a big, huge cheerleader for the name when it was gone. He, like, he did a variant cover for us. He set, uh, he set us up with the colorist, Megan Wilson. Yeah. And, like, you know, he kind of, like, got us a lot of contacts and shared it around and things and beat the drum. And, like, so we've always kind of, like, stayed friends since that. And, like... I think did somebody. I think that the editors at IDW had approached Nick Patara. I can't say Nick Patara. You know who I'm talking about. They approached yeah. Nick um, about <laughs> um, doing a Turtles comic, and it was part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe. Like me, didn't know that at this point. It was just they were talking about like an offshoot series, mm-hmm. and they were saying um, it was like going to be like showcasing different voices and short contained stories. And they asked Nick if he wanted to write and draw a comic for them, an issue for them. And he said that he'd like to draw it, but he'd do it on the condition that they were allowed to use John Lees as the writer. And I'm sure, like, the editors at IDW said, who the fuck's John Lees? <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, and then, you know, they also said, okay. So or they said, like, well, let him pitch an idea. So Nick came to me and said, like, you know, come up with some ideas. So I kind of came up with a few ideas and fired them over to Nick. And then, like, one of the ones was, like, reviving this character, Worm, who was a kind of forgotten villain from like the 1980s who'd appeared in like as an action figure and appeared in the tie-in comics line but was deemed like too creepy to appear in the cartoon mm-hmm. so that obviously appealed to me so i thought <laughs> let's try and do like a, like a really scary like but for kids you know like story with worm so i kind of pitched an idea for a story and then like we forwarded it on to the editor at idw and he really liked it so we ended up getting to do the story and that was a great process it was a lot of back and forth and then redraft and stuff but getting to work with nick and develop an idea with nick who's one of my favorite artists and mm-hmm. um getting like to see him draw it and then like getting to work under that kind of editorial um, umbrella and getting to experience that a little bit um it was really fun it was a challenge but it was really like kind of like rewarding and then also getting to see like you know, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic with your name on it was just kind of surreal and amazing. And also, yeah. I, like do, I like to do the beating of the drum whenever I have a book coming out. I'll, you know, contact comic shops and say, I've got this book coming out this month. So it was really weird to contact comic shops and them to say, yeah, we're ordering that already. <laughs> because the Turtles book, you know, no matter what I do, I'll be getting ordered no matter what. Yeah. Um, so um that was great and just getting to like do, like do the signings and having like little kids come up you know like and get a turtle's book and that's not normally my audience but mm-hmm. 
Um, it was great. I really loved it. I thought it was fantastic and really gratifying and rewarding. Yeah. Wow. And um, is is did you have pitching? Had you done any pitching in the past, or was this something completely new for you to do that? Um, I've done a lot of pitching. I've not done much successful pitching, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, gen- generally, it's what seems to happen with my projects. Is like I'll have an idea, like I'll write the comic, I'll put together a picture of a comic. Um, comics tribe will say, like you know, you go and pitch that book, John. But if no one else will take it, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I'll go around and I'll pitch to various people. Um, we'll pass, and then um, comics tribe will publish it. Um, but um, but yeah, no, like so like, and over I pitched I pitched there and Demo was gone quite a bit and um sink quite a bit. But my, my problem is that I do projects which aren't necessarily like easy pitches. Mm-hmm. Um like it's hard to pitch like a series of one shots which are all connected by being set in like a lost district of Glasgow, city centre. Um and so that's not something necessarily makes for a sexy pitch. But I think like like if I would not like sound like I'm bigging myself up too much, like I think that my comics tend to be that the was gone or sink, you know. Mm-hmm. My comics are not necessarily being easy pitches. Like, you'll read them and go, oh, now I get it. Like, you know, so, like, I mean, you know, I think once, you know, you actually get them in people's hands, they seem to go down well, even if they're not necessarily very pitchable. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on a few pitches now for things, you know, and I think they're actually much stronger pitches than anything I've ever written before. I think I've got better at pitching, which is something I've always hated doing, but these pitches feel pretty good. So I'm optimistic that I'll maybe have some things out of other publishers in the future. We'll see. Mm. And um, with uh, Sync, how's, how's the response to that been so far? So, so the response has been fantastic. Um, the reviews have been great. Um, I took it to I've taken like a special advanced copies like to conventions and it seems to have sold out most places. New York lapped it up in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Thought Bubble sold out over there. Like you know the response to Emerald City was great. People really seem to like it and dig it, and which is good because obviously you're always a bit worried when you're doing something which is so insular and so like close to you. Like in this case, like a story set in Glasgow. But I mean, I think I mean you know, and I think there was some concern at first that American audiences wouldn't relate to it, but mm-hmm. I think that's underestimating people. I think that people like something that feels authentic and feels like you know. Um, like it's something quite that the author's passionate about and like that passions can be infectious if it's done you know well enough yeah. and i think people kind of responded to it. the art's great like um the story i think even if it's set in like in scotland like the story of missing the last bus home and having to walk home alone through the bad part of town is kind of relatable to anybody like you know in the world so mm-hmm. um that kind of works and like so yeah no i think like it's been the response has been really positive yeah yeah and i think there's definitely uh i mean going back to the 80s has always been this 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 um this need or want for stories that are slightly off kilter and slightly set in like these almost small town with something horrific happening behind the scenes or you know there's always been that that need for that story it feels like and there's always been that, that yeah and i think like his location is such a big part of a character like you know like, for example if you have like a kind of like grisly kind of like noir crime story with dead bodies turning up and mm-hmm. duplicitous like husbands and like wives and like the, the you know the dogged police detective if that's in like new york city or london you know you know or la it's like a cliche it's like a trope but yeah. if you take that same story and you set like in like you know Fargo North Dakota like, you know yeah. <laughs> it suddenly becomes like something unusual and becomes like you know um, like the very act of moving to a different place kind of casts all those tropes in a new light and makes it fresh and interesting yeah 
Yeah. Not that I was saying Glasgow is a small town, but it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not as heavily used, like you say, as, as New York, LA, London, and um, yeah, it's all about that. And also, like obviously, like with Glasgow, um, when when Glasgow does appear in stories, usually it's like um, like heroin's bad. Um, <laughs> so like, like you know, or it's very grounded and gritty, like you know, crime dramas. Murder's a little, but obviously, plenty of like crime. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's quite fun to kind of subvert that a little bit and do something which kind of teeters more into the realm of horror. And it's like kind of unusual things going on, you know, and increasingly so as the series continues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's always like that old Taggart style of... That was being a murder. So all your American audiences are just going like, what the hell is Taggart? Yeah. <laughs> Look it up, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sync is... So what's, what's the plan ultimately with Sync? How, how are you... Um, well, Sync is going to be five issues all told. As each issue is a standalone story, but they all do interconnect. Mm-hmm. And for me, it feels like the biggest thing I've ever made. Like, you know, it's the first story I've probably written where I thought I'd like to go back and do like more volumes or more stories in this world. So if the response is good, we'll do more in the future. But in the meantime, the plan is, like I say, if you sign up at sync.com, com, you'll get issues in your inbox free as they're finished. Um, but on top of that, we also have the book coming out monthly starting in September. So mm-hmm. it's going to be five issues. So if all goes to plan, you'll knock on wood. Um, it's September, October, November, December, January. You'll have like an issue each month of Sync and then a collection coming out early 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you, do you find yourself now, if you see an artist that you like, you start to come up with a story idea for them? Do you feel like you're, or has that always been there? Well, it's, I think. Uh, well, I think I definitely feel that that's been something I've been able to do more lately. Because obviously when I did the standard, I had this whole process, this whole drama of going to like, the digital web and forums and trying to hunt for an artist and like that whole nightmare of like, I think because originally when I first applied for an artist for the standard, um, I put an ad out and then like, you know, I used the magic words to pay the gig and mm-hmm. I got like, you know, um, like, probably close to like 200 replies oh, wow. and because of, and because because i'm a masochist like i individually replied to every single one like <laughs> we, we, either it was like you know thank you very much like a form letter thank you very much but this isn't you know what we're looking for in the meantime or um maybe it would be like, this is really good can we put you aside for something else maybe or like you know narrowing it down so i kind of went through everybody and that whole process was a nightmare but since then i've been fortunate enough that i've kind of got to know a few artists you know and i have to either it be through the scottish comic scene like i run like the glass league of writers which is a writing group so mm-hmm. i kind of kind of got inroads into the comic scene locally or like meeting creators further afield at conventions in the u.s but thankfully like every project like i'm working on now i was able to like go like as i was developing the idea i think I would like this artist to do this project, then contact them and say, do you want to do a comic together? And they'll go like, yeah. And then like I can write tailored to them, um, which is obviously makes things much more um, easy and much more manageable. But you don't have to worry, have that worry of who's going to draw it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like with something I'm working on now, I've got a picture I'm developing. And um, it was actually like Ryan Lee, um, who is an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. I've been a fan of his for years. Like he approached me at C2E2 last year and he was like, can you come up with something for me to draw? Can we come up with a project together? And I thought, like, I can't believe that this artist is actually asking me, like, to do something for him. This, this is the kind of person I thought I would have to beg, like, hands <laughs> and knees, like, to do a comic for me someday, you know. And I mean, now, now, now I can't act too keen. They might know, like, you know, my secrets out. So I was like, you know, um, yeah, sure, if I've got some time, I'll come up with you. I'll come up with something for you, Ryan. Um, but... 
Um, so like when like so that obviously makes things a lot easier when like you know you're working with people that you know and like you've already got an idea of their style and you're writing something thinking they'd be really good at drawing that, so mm-hmm. it affects how you write the script. Yeah, you've won some awards, haven't you, for your writing? Yeah, um, I won. Um, it's not 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 Kenny Eisner's or anything, but like I won <laughs> um, the Sikba Award, which is the Scottish Independent Comic Book Award for Best Writer. And I won the Yancey Street Award um, for Best UK Writer mm-hmm. um, uh, um, just this past year, or maybe a couple of months or so ago, I won that one. Um, and Best Worldwide Writer went to Jason Aaron. So like, wow. it's just me and him at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's like, I know you're joking about the Eisners, but it's still, it must feel good to, to have people. Well, it's. Well, it's nice because, like, you know, obviously, like, it's nice when other people, like, recognize or other people, like, appreciate your work, you know, and, like, want to kind of recognize you for it. Um, it's a nice feeling. You know, obviously, you can't go too far into it. they be on end all because that means, like, when you lose, you can't say, like, awards are shit. Yeah. But, <laughs> but who cares about awards, you know? But, um, but yeah, when you, when you win them, they're, they're super important and prestigious and nice. <laughs> Uh, what uh, when you're working it, it seems like everything you've done you've uh, do you self-edit or do you like working with editors or i've, I've done both um the i actually with the standard i worked with stephen Forbes very closely it was my first comic and he kind of handheld me through the whole process whether it was like developing the scripts and or whether it's like you know like going through the art and things and helping me kind of like make decisions with the artists and all that stuff and the production of the book so that was super helpful because like, that was my first comic as i say um since then like the projects i've worked on since i'm um, like and then we was gone and some of the other things that i've developed i've not had like a single editor as such but it's, it's gone through the crucible of like as i say i'm part of a writing group and part of the glasgow writers so i'll go through them and they'll kind of have like one degree of feedback and they'll kind of like ham it away at one level and then i have a kind of group of close friends who i meet up with more kind of casually like once every few weeks mm-hmm. and we kind of go over each other's scripts but with a kind of like finer tooth comb and really ruthless so it goes through them as well like when they get hammered and chiseled and they find a little bit more um then just recently i've started a third writing group with people from the u.s either do over skype so i've got like a third wave of like kind of like hammering down there in it so mm. like i kind of figure like you know between like the, you know these like various groups of writers that can they pretty much make up for the presence of one editor like between them you you know yeah um so by the time like you know and, and i very rarely like, just write a script and send it into the ether like you know normally it's been kind of hammered down and defined and gone through various eyes you know to make sure it's up to scratch yeah how big is the writing group the in glasgow um the glasgow writers depends like like there's something like 40 members but in terms of like turn up like a meeting like you know usually it can vary between like five and ten in a given session mm-hmm. like my, and my other group is like four people yeah yeah it's a it's it's definitely it's definitely changed from like you said at the start where you know you it used to be something that was almost secretive and and hidden yeah. and now it's definitely a bigger community and no yeah i mean for me i mean without getting so sentimental and mushy and stuff like for me like <laughs> the comic scene that's opened up like changed my life because like coming out of university like you know i'm not saying like i had like no friends like obviously i had a couple of friends but it was just like the people that i knew 
at school and a couple of people that I knew at university, like, you know, and everyone starts to go off on their own path and do their own thing. And I was like, my social circle is getting smaller and smaller. I'm spending most of my time just sitting inside writing. Then, like, in 2011, when we launched the Glasgow Year Writers and getting to, like, meet other people in person, like, who not only just liked comics, but wrote comics. And then from there, like, kind of getting into the social scene of, like, glad, you know, the Scottish comic scene and then the worldwide comic scene has totally opened up, like, my social life and introduced me to new people and interesting people that I never would have met before and kind of, like, helped me kind of come out my shell and become a more social person. And um, so, yeah, I think, I, like, even if I never, you know, ever make it big in comics, you know, with uh, inverted commas, big, but... Um, even that, even if that never happens for me, like, you know, like, I still owe so much to comics in terms of how much it's improved my life in terms of that sense. Mm. And what's coming up next for you? Um, well, obviously, I've got Sync coming up through this year, and I've got a couple of different projects that I'm working on with various um, creators. I've got, like, the aforementioned Ryan Lee project. Um, that's something called Mountainhead, um, which is kind of like a kind of weird... Um, story set like in the foot of the Canadian Rockies and like I don't really get into too much to the plot of it because it never happens but like you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's really cool and atmospheric and strange and not quite like anything else I've seen and Ryan's like killing it on the artwork as he usually does mm-hmm. uh, and I've got a project called Braithorn Lodge a Braithorn Lodge I've been pitching around um, with Alex Diotto who's an Italian artist really mm-hmm. talented that's like um, the basic premise of that's like um, a vampire stalking the residents of an old folks home. It's kind of like up meets it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and like that's been a lot. That was like a real love description of that. People that have read that see the scripts are really good, you know, but like, it's just a matter of finding the right home for it. Alex's work again has been great on that. I think it's some of his best work. Mm-hmm. And I've got a project called Deep Ender, which is um, a kind of totally like out of my usual comfort zone it's like a kind of like um rom-com sport and adventure swimming comic um drawn by Joe Rivera mm-hmm. um which is like again i was really kind of wary of this one really kind of unsure like I, i've never been so apologetic sending a script like my various scripts and things saying i don't know like let me know if this even works i don't know if I, is it funny does it is it work does it hold together but much to my surprise, like, you know, people have actually said, like, it's maybe the best the best thing I've written, <laughs> you know, like, so, like, you know, maybe I've been working in the wrong, the wrong genre all these years, but, so, like, I've been, I've, I've started writing ahead for that a little bit, you know, and, um, and I've really had a lot of fun writing that one, and I don't know, like, obviously, like, you know, especially in the American comics market, like, you know, comedy comics and romance comics and sports comics are probably all, it's like a trifecta of hard sales all in one <laughs> big ball. Um, so, like, obviously the odds are stacked against it, but I really hope we do find a home for it because, like, between, like, how happy I am with the scripts and the characters in the scripts and how happy I am with the awesome work that Joe's is doing, mm-hmm. um, like, I really hope, like, we, we can get it out there in some format. Yeah. Um, um, uh, for you, where, where can people find you? What? People can find me um, on Twitter at John Lee's nine two seven. That's G O H N L E E S nine two seven. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me um, on my official website, which is JohnLee'sComics.com. But it's not very. It's sporadically updated. So maybe don't go there. <laughs> um, or you can go um, to the Facebook pages for Sync or An Enemy Was Gone. Or you can sign up to my newsletter, which has a long and 
like unfathomable um like url so just go to my twitter page and the pinned tweet is like the link to my newsletter and you'll get it from that you'll get like weekly commentary from me like in various insights on like the like goings on in the comics world and talking about writing process or find me at my local swimming pool i might be down there most mornings <laughs> i might not see you but i'm in my goggles so shout <laughs> my name. and you might say hello and then swallow half the pool and yeah you know. <laughs> well john thank you very much well thank you very much for having me that was fun yeah it was really nice talking to you finally Okay. So, um, <laughs> this is the awkward goodbyes in the very bright. <laughs> That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818 308 4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am. Thank you.